Aloha and welcome. You're listening to the New Hope Legacy Podcast. Last week, Pastor Trenton started a multi-part series titled Famous Last Words. In this series, we're exploring the seven last statements made by Jesus right before he died. This week is part two, and we're on the third statement of Jesus' last words. Behold your son, behold your mother. So without giving too much away, let's dive in. Good morning, New Hope. How are you all doing today? It's good to see you all here. We're going to be continuing our series that we launched last week called Famous Last Words, studying through the last words of Jesus Christ on the cross. There were seven statements that he made, seven things that were on his mind. We're going to jump into that, but I wanted to mention real quick before we do that, our uh, Halal has been running fundraisers last number of weeks in the uh, Ohana room, our missions team came to me this last week and said, hey, how can we get in on the action? I said, just like that. So when you go out today, there is going to be a a small fundraiser from our missions team that's going to go to the various missions projects that we have in the Philippines and Haiti and uh, different places around the world. But we're going to jump in today in John chapter 19. If you want to go ahead and turn there, boot up your Bible, open the app. Flip it open, find the page, however, uh, however you do that today in John chapter 19. There were seven things that Jesus said on the cross, seven critical things on his mind as he breathed his last. And uh, we started off last week with this idea that if, if there were these critical things on Jesus' mind as he was in agony, as he was in pain and, and all the suffering that he was going through, if that was so urgently on his mind to share then we need to take the time to understand what he had to say and how that applies to our lives. What was on his mind? How does it impact you and I? There's something, something significant, something meaningful about last words. And I, I shared some famous last words from history last week with you all. It's interesting when we read back about famous people and, and we think about what their life um, could be summarized as, and then we, we read their last words, the things that were on their mind. It's interesting, the things that people become known for. The uh, artist, some of you may be familiar with, Salvador Dali, the last words that he breathed were, I do not believe in my death. Well, Mr. Dali is a believer now because it happened. He may not have believed it then, but uh, it came to pass anyway. There was a gentleman named uh, John Sedgwick. He was a general in the Civil War that became somewhat famous uh, by historians and historical accounts of the Civil War. He was standing out on the battlefield one day and looking at the enemy troops across the field, and he turned to the man next to him and said, they couldn't hit an elephant from this distance, except he never finished his sentence because midway through the sentence, they hit him. Um, It was very awkward, but he found out he was a little bit wrong about that. It's interesting, the things that people become known for, the last words that, that they utter, the things that are on their mind. Today, we're looking at the third famous last word that Jesus spoke while he was on the cross, and we're going to pick up the story in John chapter 19, starting in verse number 23. John 19, 23. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts one part for each soldier and also his tunic. 
But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. The first three of the last seven words of Jesus Christ were spoken to other people. They weren't about himself. Last week, we started with the first two. The first thing that he said on the cross was, Father, forgive them, looking at the soldiers who were, were betting on his clothes and actively crucifying him and doing these things. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The second thing he said was to the criminal on the cross next to him. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. And now today, behold your son and behold your mother. The first three things that he said were not about his situation, were not about him. They were to other people. They were about other people for the benefit of other people. Today, we're looking at the third of Jesus' last words, behold your son, behold your mother. Our big idea today is about suffering. You know, that's everybody's favorite topic to talk about, but we're going to talk about it today because it impacts all of our lives. Our big idea is that suffering is inevitable, but growth is a choice. Suffering is inevitable, but growth is a choice. And I do encourage you to take notes. If you don't have an outline, please go ahead and raise your hand. I know one of our ushers will be happy to get one of the sermon outlines to you. Suffering has gripped the attention of mankind since the moment that it first entered the world. There's been a lot of words said about suffering. There's been a lot of interesting thoughts shared about the topic of suffering. And we're not going to try to present simple answers or just summarize it all down nice and pretty today. It's, it's too big of a topic to try to just give easy answers to it. But it's, it's something that every single one of us has endured. Somewhere in our life, you and I have each faced suffering. It's not something that is unique to one person and not to another. We have all experienced suffering somewhere. So instead of trying to give easy answers today, instead we're going to learn from the one who suffered the most we're going to work to gain some wisdom for our journey from the way that he faced suffering and what he taught through it. Did you know that our world was created with no suffering? When God spoke the world into existence, when he, when he breathed life into Adam and Eve, when he, when he did all the things that he did through creation, he looked at every step of it and said that it was good. On day one, he created light and he said, it's good. Day two, he separated the waters above from the waters below. On day three, he created the sea and the land. He said it's good. He created plants. He said it's good. On day four, he created the sun and moon and stars. He looked at it and said, it's good what I've created. Day five, he created fish and birds. He said, that's good what I've created. On day six, he created land animals and humankind, and he looked at all the things that he had created, he said it's good. In fact, he said that everything that he had made was very good. Everything that God created when he created the world. But then we read something interesting in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. Genesis 2, 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. 
So the whole way through the creation story, we have good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. It's all very good, and then suddenly everything screeches to all out. It's not good. Somewhere in the midst of the good, there's something not good about the world. Why did God create a situation that was not good? Something we could spend a lot of time maybe digging into, but one of the reasons I believe that God created a situation that he himself said was not good was to highlight the importance, the critical, urgent importance of relationship. See, you and I were created to exist in relationship. We were created to exist in community. The first fill in the blank on your sheet there, if you're taking notes, is that we were created for relationship, not isolation. We were created for relationship, not isolation. And so whatever the reason was that God had for creating this not good situation, he used it to highlight the importance of relationship, and then he fixed the not good thing. He created a companion, a helper, somebody to do life with the man that he had created, and everything was good again. The whole world was good. There wasn't anything not good about it any longer. And immediately, sin entered the equation. What is sin, you might ask? Well, it's anything that violates God's nature. It's anything that goes contrary to his holiness, to his authority. It's, It's anything that goes against the things that God has instituted. And we read in Genesis chapter 3 that the serpent came and began to tempt Eve. God had told them not to do just one thing, one instruction, and they couldn't even remember that. Sometimes I can relate to that in my house when I give my kids just one thing. If you can just remember one thing and they can't, God gave them one thing to remember. The serpent came, began to tempt Eve, and, and did God really say, did he really say you couldn't eat that? And we read in Genesis chapter 3, Starting in verse number 6, turn there with me if you would, Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 6. So the woman, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. From what I've heard, fig leaves can be somewhat irritating and itchy like mango leaves. I don't know if that's true, but I don't think it was probably the wisest uh, course of action for them anyway. Picking up in verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Adam and Eve sinned. Their conscience began to suffer. This was the moment that suffering actually entered the world. They sinned. Their conscience began to suffer. And immediately they went away and isolated themselves from God's presence. They sinned. And the result was pain and difficulty. They they went away. And then God sent them away. In Genesis 3... Picking up in verse 22, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. 
And there's an interesting thing that happens there that begins to play out over and over and over in the world is that sin entered the picture and it took everything that was good and it made it not good. But it didn't just make it not good. It it introduced suffering to the world and then immediately suffering began to introduce separation. See, before God ever sent them away, Adam and Eve went away from his presence. The moment that their conscience began to suffer, there was a separation immediately that occurred and they went away and hid. And what we find is that there's an unbreakable relationship between sin and suffering and separation. These three things are inseparable, you might say. Sin results in suffering and suffering results in separation. There's your next fill in the blank. Sin results in suffering and suffering results in separation. I was chatting just the other day with somebody about the difference between divine judgment and natural consequences. And we were talking about how it's interesting that we often blame God's judgment for uncomfortable things that happen in our life. But the reality of it is often not God's judgment, but the natural consequence of the decision that I've made. If I go out and spend all the money in my bank account and make unwise decisions, then I can't really blame God's judgment on the fact that there's no money in my bank account. It's just the natural outcome of me going out and spending too much money at Home Depot again. It's a dangerous place to visit. Natural consequences. Not every outcome of sin is divine punishment. Much of it is actually natural consequences from the things that we do. The natural result of sin is shame. The natural outcome of sin is suffering and isolation and eventually death. This is the natural outcome. These these three things, sin and suffering and then separation, always seem to be in the company of each other. I don't know how many of y'all are parents here today, but if you've ever had a toddler in your house, then you know what I'm talking about. In our house, we, we have a toddler. He's three years old. Some of you may have seen him, just this blur running through the room before service. That was Kanoa. But every now and then I'll be cooking or doing whatever I'm doing at home, and I'll look around, I'll go, uh, honey, where's, uh, where's Kanoa at? Where's, where'd he go? Everything just gets a little bit too quiet. Have you ever experienced that? It's, it's this ominous sort of quiet. You can hear that, that spooky music almost begin playing in the background. Where, where'd he go? What's happening? And more often than not, we'll come around the corner and find him sort of tucked in the corner next to the, the couch or maybe behind a, a, a curtain in the living room. And he'll be back there with this very guilty expression on his face. And, hey, buddy, what you doing? Nothing, Dad. Nothing. I'm, I'm just sitting here in the corner all by myself. I'm just hiding. Nothing's going on, Dad. I'm good. And then we'll start looking around and we'll find another piece of artwork, maybe in crayon on the wall. Maybe we'll find a book with some pages that have been censored out. He's, uh, he's excellent at censoring things in our house. We'll find something that has happened that wasn't supposed to be that way, and he has gone and put himself in isolation, and he's suffering there quietly by himself in the corner. And then he goes in time out and suffers just a little bit more. (laughs) But that's the natural consequence of sin and suffering is that there's an isolation, there's a separation that begins to take place. We see that sometimes in relationships. In relationships, if you talk to somebody and they say, well, 
I don't know what's going on in my relationship. My spouse, it's like, like they've begun to separate from me. They're coming home later and later, and, and maybe they're sleeping in the other room now, and they don't call like they used to. There's a separation that has begun to happen even in our relationship. And what's the first thing that we begin to do is we look for the sin, well, what's happening? What, what, are, what are you doing? Did you break trust somewhere? Is there something going on that I need to know about? Why are you pulling back from me? Because we understand sort of even subconsciously that when separation begins to occur, that sin and suffering are very closely in attendance. We see this even with animals. I remember spending a summer on a farm growing up and my dad teaching me one day one of the, the cats that we would see around the barn just wasn't around any longer. And I remember asking my dad, yo, where'd, where'd the cat go, dad? I don't see him around anymore. He said, well, he probably went off by himself to die. Very encouraging sort of thing to learn as a six-year-old, but <laughs> it's a necessary lesson. Even wild animals, when they're suffering, often what they do is begin to withdraw. They'll go off somewhere quiet. They'll isolate themselves either to heal or to die. And you might say, well, sin isn't involved in that. Well, maybe not their sin, but sin in the world has caused the suffering that they now experience. It's still inseparable. We see this in Scripture in many places, but perhaps most clearly illustrated in Matthew chapter number 26. Matthew 26, we read about Peter denying Jesus Christ as he was on trial and facing accusation. Matthew 26, 73, after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. The natural result of sin and suffering is that it will drive you away from relationship. It will begin to create distance, begin to create isolation in your life. And there's a common phrase that I've heard but I don't agree with, is that misery loves company. Have you ever heard that before? Misery loves company? I've repeated that one often, but... I've decided I see things a little bit differently now. See, what misery actually loves is loneliness. What misery loves is isolation. We say that misery loves company because misery seems to spread out and affect everybody around us. So in that sense, misery loves company. It, it tries to spread out and affect more than just us. But misery actually loves loneliness. Misery loves isolation. But the truth is, while misery loves loneliness, misery needs company. While misery loves loneliness, misery needs company. And that's what we begin to see in John chapter 19 if we fast forward back to the crucifixion and this passage that we're looking at today. Jesus was hanging on the cross. He was suffering unimaginably, not just physically, but, but even in his spirit. The sinless one that had never known sin or shame was suddenly carrying the weight of the sin of the entire world. Everybody who had ever lived and ever would live, suddenly that burden is resting on his shoulders. He's in agony. He's, he's wearing the crown of thorns, blood dripping down him. The, his back is laid open from the lashes. There's nails through his hands and his feet. And I can't quite imagine the suffering of Jesus as he hung there on the cross physically 
But it really sort of hit me this week as I studied this passage, thinking about the suffering of Mary and John standing there and watching him. I don't like seeing my son fall down and skin his knee. I don't, I don't like seeing my son twist his ankle or, or hit his head on the corner of the wall as he comes running through the house. I don't, I don't like seeing him uncomfortable. And I can't fathom the pain that Mary must have experienced as she stood there helpless, unable to stop what was happening and watched her son be tortured and then murdered right before her eyes. Not even quickly, but slowly, in agony. The, the Romans had perfected crucifixion to an art form to extract the maximum possible suffering from the victims. Jesus is suffering on the cross. Mary is suffering watching her son be crucified and die before her eyes. John is standing there suffering, watching his closest friend, watching his life slowly fade because of sin. Everybody involved, everything about the cross was shaped and formed by sin in suffering. Here's what's fascinating and and powerful to me about this passage is that Jesus hung there suffering, enduring what was being done to him, and, and he knew that it was the right thing to do. It was the right suffering for him to do. He willingly endured that. But he chose not to let that cycle of isolation continue. Often in life when we see cycles and patterns continuing, there's a place where the cycle can be broken. And we see Jesus doing that at this moment on the cross. He chose to endure the suffering, but he chose to reach out at that moment and break the cycle and break the isolation that was about to take place for Mary and for John. And here's what we find is that suffering is inevitable, but growth through suffering is a choice. Suffering is inevitable, but growth through suffering is a choice. The simple fact is that we live in a world which contains suffering. It's inescapable for you and I. Jesus Christ could have escaped it. He had the choice whether to endure the suffering on the cross. He chose to endure it. But for you and I, we don't always have that choice to escape the suffering. Jesus suffered. He watched his mother and his close friends suffering, but he didn't allow his suffering to become self-focused. He demonstrated the difference between selfish and selfless suffering. And I, I was sort of debating whether to use the word selfish even in, in this context because there's nothing wrong with acknowledging the pain that you're in. There's nothing wrong with taking a minute to catch your breath when something happens. But selfish suffering is when you and I are going through suffering and, and then we take it to the point of just turning inward and everything about our experience becomes focused on me and my pain and, and my issue. And it's legit. It's painful. It, it's, it hurts. This is where I am, but, but I can let that turn inward and become just all about me. But selfless suffering means that I'm looking out for the good of others around me even through my suffering. Even in that moment of agony, selfless suffering is when I turn my focus outward and say, you know what, I can still make an impact in somebody else's life even in this moment of suffering. Both things have their place. If, if you touch a hot stove, it's okay to take a minute to make sure you get your hand back off, off the hot stove before you try to serve your child lunch. 
If you're trying to be selfless and just leaning there with your hand on the hot burner, I'm going to selflessly serve you breakfast while I have my hand on the hot stove, there, there might be something wrong with you. You might want to get that checked out. You may need to take just a minute to do some selfish action and get your hand off the stove before you serve breakfast or lunch to your child. But the problem is that self-focused suffering doesn't easily give way to selfless suffering. And there comes a time when it is right to turn your focus back outward. See, the purpose, the reason for Jesus' suffering was an outward heart which was manifested through love and action. The entire reason that he was on the cross was because his love had led him to put love in action and to suffer for you and I. That was the reason why he was suffering. It was, his suffering was immeasurable in every way. I, I was fascinated to learn that the word we use today, excruciating, if you've ever endured excruciating pain, that actually comes from the word to crucify. Crucifixion was designed, it was intended to be as painful as possible, to, to extract the maximum possible suffering. And now Jesus was there not just physically suffering, but as I said, also emotionally, spiritually suffering on the cross. Now, when I hurt, there's a specific reaction. I've, I've been hurt a few times in my life. I remember one day when I was about 12 or 13 years old, we were playing tackle football with no helmets or pads. That's a great way to do it. I highly recommend it. The problem was I, I didn't know a lot about football, and I became so, so focused on the guy that had the ball that when I came running up and tried to tackle him, it wasn't just like put my shoulder down. I took a flying leap at him from the side and didn't realize somebody else was coming to tackle him from the other side in my blind spot, and we collided heads in midair. Knocked the other guy out. I gave myself a concussion, and, and there was an ouch moment, let me tell you. There was some discomfort going on, and I, I remember sort of wobbling off to the side of the field and saying, just, just give me a moment, give me a minute. I had to take a minute to just sort of focus on me for a moment. I remember the day on the job site that we were pulling up hardwood flooring from a house that had flooded. We, we had these big uh, scrapers we were using to, to chip up the edge of the flooring and then peel it upward. And I gathered up a bundle of this splintered, broken flooring in my hands, and I couldn't see my feet. And I went to take a step forward and put my foot down. And just as I drove my foot down, I realized belatedly that there was still a piece of sharp flooring sticking up from the floor. And I drove it straight into my shin all the way into the bone. There was some suffering involved, let me tell you. I don't remember what came out of my mouth, but I think it probably sounded like the strangled cry of a hunted wild animal. It was, it was uncomfortable. I had to take a minute for me. I had to take a minute to, to sort of compose myself and extract this piece of lumber back out of my leg. I didn't find the final piece of it until about two weeks later. I was sort of digging around in there with a pocket knife. Again, highly recommended way to deal with traumatic injury. There's something about pain and suffering that naturally turns our focus inward. It naturally causes me to, to look inward at myself and begin to, to try to deal with the issue that I have. And it would have been easy for Jesus to do the same thing on the cross. It would have been easy for the Savior to, to hang there on the cross and to say, you know what, I'm, give me a minute, guys. I chose to do this. Yep, I, I'm putting my love in action, but you, you got to give me a minute here. You don't understand what I'm going through. I just, I need, I need some time would have been really easy for him to do that. Instead, he set the example for Mary and John through selfless 
suffering. I can imagine him looking there at his mother and saying, Mom, you're hurting. I see your pain. I, I see you suffering. And I know that you're going to tend to withdraw when this is all done. I know you're going to tend to isolate yourself. You're going to pull back from the, the temple leaders who called for me to be crucified. You're going to tend to isolate yourself from the community that went along with them in this. You're going to tend to pull back from the Roman soldiers that just drove these nails through my hands. You're going to tend to avoid my disciples that all ran off and left me and, and even denied me in this process. I, I know what this is going to do to you, Mom. And I know that you're going to tend to isolate yourself. But you need someone looking out for you. You need somebody walking in relationship that can be there for you and that, that you can pour your heart out into. So, behold your son. I can imagine him hanging there on the cross and looking at John and, and saying, John, you've been my best friend and, and I know you're hurting right now. And I know that the result of your suffering is that you're about to isolate yourself from everybody. You're about to withdraw. There's, there's going to be some fear even involved about what the ramifications might be for you. You're going to start to hold it against the other disciples that ran off. They're, they're not all here right now. Most of them are not present. You're here, but you're going to start to look around and notice those who aren't here, and you're going to tend to withdraw and isolate yourself from the other disciples. You're going to need someone to take care of. You're going to need someone to show love to. You're going to need someone to begin pouring your heart outward to in the days to come. Jesus grew through his suffering, and he taught Mary and John to do the same. You might be surprised to think of Jesus growing or developing or learning, but we see it first in, John, in Luke chapter number 2, verse 52. And scripture says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. The man Christ Jesus grew and developed just like we do. And as he hung on the cross, his trust in the Father was growing. As he hung in the cross, he, he was growing by stepping into the fulfillment of the mission for which he had come to earth. He was growing by suffering with an outward focus and loving the world through his suffering. And you and I are given the same opportunity today. I don't know what your suffering is. I don't, I don't know what it is that you're going through in your life. But I know that we each have the same choice in the matter. We can either suffer and stay or we can suffer and grow. Whatever the area of suffering is in your life, I don't know what it is, but I can promise you that God is working to accomplish something profound through it. Not to leave you the same, but to begin to grow you and stretch you and develop you in ways that you can't really even fathom right now. Pastor Wayne Cordero has often made this statement, God never wastes a tear. God never wastes a tear in your life and in mine. The suffering of Jesus was not without a purpose as he hung on the cross. The suffering of Mary and John was not without a purpose. And the suffering in your life today is not without purpose either. God doesn't waste a tear in your life. Whatever the suffering is, we have the same choice to make. And it's a choice because although God gives us the opportunity for our suffering to be redeemed and used by him, he won't force you to grow. 
See, he leaves that choice up to you and I. He, he lets us either remain and stay in our suffering or grow because of it. And so I have a few things, a few keys to productive suffering, you might call them, for you to think about and pray through this week. They're not easy answers. They don't necessarily make the suffering less, but some things to ponder and talk to God about this week in your time with God. Number one, first key to productive suffering is to keep your eye on the goal. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, Scripture says this about Jesus Christ. It says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There was a prize before him at the end of the suffering. What's the prize at the end of your suffering? Have you, have you stopped to think what the prize is at the end of your suffering? Sometimes we can't see it in the moment. And sometimes if you take a close enough look, what you'll realize is that the prize is not worth the suffering. Some suffering is not worth the prize that we're working toward. I encourage you to think about what the prize is at the end of the suffering. I was chatting with Jeff just recently about a situation, and I said, you know, there's this particular situation I'm interacting with, and it, it's not quite how it was said to me, but it's as if this person comes to me and says, you know, every time I stick my finger in my eye, it hurts. And I want to just tell them, well, have you tried not sticking your finger in your eye? Have you, have you given that a shot? It might work really well for you. And Jeff and I were talking about how some suffering is just not worth it. The, the prize, the benefit I get from jamming my finger into my eyeball really doesn't, doesn't equal the pain. And so I don't do that. I try to avoid it. If the suffering in your life is not worth the pain, the suffering that you're going through, then maybe there's an opportunity God would give you to step out of the suffering. What's the prize that you're suffering for this week? Key number two for selfless or for productive suffering, key number two is to suffer selflessly. Suffer with an outward heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, all our affliction, notice it says, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. What's that saying? It means when God has comforted you in your suffering, he gives you the ability to pass on that comfort to somebody else, suffering selflessly. How can you reach out and minister to somebody this week in your area of pain? I don't know what the pain is in your life, but who is it that God has put into your life that you can reach out and comfort in the pain that they're walking through because of your area of suffering? This is often where God brings the greatest growth into our lives is the, how we reach out and minister to others through our pain. Key number three for productive suffering, lean into uplifting relationships. Jesus leaned into his relationship with the Father. He leaned on the strength of the Father to bring him through his suffering. Mary and John found common ground in understanding each other's pain and being there for each other. I want to encourage you to lean into the right relationships in your suffering. It really struck me in studying through this passage that John's mother was there at the cross. I had never noticed that before. As Jesus hung on the cross and had this conversation between Mary and John, John's biological mother was also there 
at the cross. We know from Scripture that Jesus himself had siblings. Mary had other children. We don't know necessarily if they were there at the cross at that moment or not, but she had other children that could have taken care of her. But there was a specific reason why Jesus looked at Mary and said, Behold your son, not my siblings, this guy right here, John. He looked at John and said, Behold your mother. I don't, I don't know what sort of you know, issues that caused in the family dynamics, but Jesus didn't seem to be worried about that. He said, no, 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 you need to lean into the right relationships during this time of suffering. And I know that, Mary, you need to be there for John as his mother right now, and John, you need to be there for my mom as her son. Lean into the right relationships. Be careful what relationships you lean on when you're suffering. Just because a relationship is there doesn't mean it's the right relationship for you to lean on. Key number four for productive suffering, follow the guidance of the Savior. One of the most key phrases in this passage that we read is Jesus is hanging on the cross is John 19, 27. It says, from that hour, John took Mary to his own home. There was no delay. There was no putting it to a vote. There was no asking chat GPT for the best input and guidance. It was just, Jesus said it, and I'm going to do it. From that hour, John took Mary to his own home. He didn't debate it. And our growth in Christ can't remain as just head knowledge. There's a certain point we have to reach, even in our suffering, that we say, okay, Jesus, I don't know what this is all about, and I don't know why, and I'm still hurting, and I wish I wasn't, but I know what you told me to do, and so I'm just going to go ahead and do it. Up until that moment, it's just head knowledge. It's just, it's just words that have fallen on our ears. But at that moment that we put it into action, there's a transformation that begins to take place. Key number five for productive suffering, hang on to the last thing that you heard God say. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed to the Father, not my will, but thine be done. And in Luke 22, we see that an angel came and ministered to Jesus there in the garden. I don't know what the angel told him. That's not recorded in scripture. I don't know what the angel said. I don't know what he did. But I do know that the father made sure that strength was given to the son for the suffering that lay ahead of him. And there's been seasons in my life that I've had to go back and say, okay, God, I, I feel like I've begun to sort of lose my way in the pain right now. There's a little bit of a fog developing, and I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know where I'm supposed to be going. All I know is this is the last thing that I heard you say clearly. If you're in that moment, then I encourage you, hang on to the last thing that you heard God clearly speak into your life. There was a season a few years back for Epo and I that we really began to wrestle with that and, and there was a lot of things moving and shifting in our life and a lot of things changing and we began to talk and say, well, what about this and what do we do if that and how about if we and, and all these things began to just sort of swirl and churn in our life and we came back and said, you know what, what was the last thing that God told us? The last thing that God told us was this is the church family that you're to be connected to. These are the people that I've put in relationship around you. These are the people that I've put you here to pour your heart into. And we said, okay, God, I don't know what you're doing, and this is really uncomfortable right now, but I know what I clearly heard you say last, and so that's what we're going to keep doing. Hang on to the last thing that God has said to you. 
as we wrap up today, I know I haven't given you any easy answers. I'm not going to try to reduce it down to a simple equation because that's not how suffering works. But I encourage you to ask this question in your own heart. Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me today? In my suffering, in my discomfort, in the things, the agony that I'm going through that maybe the person sitting next to me doesn't even know about, what are you speaking to me? What are you trying to accomplish in and through me? Maybe there's an area in your life that you've been suffering and you've, you've realized that the prize just isn't worth it. Maybe there's something that you've been enduring. You've been working overtime to make the car payment, but a Toyota would really work just as well as the Lamborghini. Maybe the suffering isn't really worth it in your situation. Maybe you're in a situation where the suffering is unavoidable. Maybe it's even a result of your own sin or your own actions. Maybe that's where you are right now. And I want to tell you that God has not abandoned you. His strength has not failed you. It's still sufficient to bring you through. Maybe you've been suffering for a little while and maybe, maybe God is beginning to stir your heart that there's a selfish aspect to your suffering, that you've begun to turn inward and, and allow your suffering to isolate you from those around you. Maybe the Holy Spirit is beginning to challenge you to suffer outward and to look out for those that you can begin to encourage even in your area of pain because there are others who have experienced the same pain, I guarantee you. Maybe that's an area that God's going to begin to use you to speak into somebody else's life. Maybe you're in that situation where you don't really know what God is accomplishing and all you know is the last thing that he said to you. I want to encourage you to hang on to that. Grip that lifeline with all that you've got. His strength has not run out and he's still capable of speaking to you to where you can hear him. Hang on to that thing that he has told you. Maybe you've begun to allow suffering in your life to isolate you from the people and relationships around you that God would use to bring you through the suffering. Don't isolate yourself. We look at Jesus, and it's easy to see all the good through his suffering because he didn't cause his own suffering. Everything about his suffering was in love for those around him. Sometimes the most difficult suffering to go through is the suffering that I've caused in my own life. And if that's you here today, I want to encourage you that God's grace has not run out on you. His mercy hasn't run out. He hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't given up. You may have caused every ounce of pain that you're going through, but God can still redeem it and use that in your life. Can we pray together? Lord, I don't know why suffering happens. Sometimes there's things that I go through that I didn't cause and I didn't choose, but they hurt regardless. Sometimes I suffer because of my own decisions, but even when there aren't easy answers, Lord, I thank you that you're with me in my suffering. And not just me, but you're, you're with each one here. Every single person listening online right now, whatever they may be going through in their life, you are with them. And you created us to live in community, God. We know that sin is about choosing something different than your heart. It's about a violation of your character and your plan. And one of the first things that we see sin doing is isolating us from the relationships that you've put in our lives. And so I pray for each one here today, for everyone hearing the sound of my voice, even those online, Lord, help us to lean into relationship. Help us to choose growth in our suffering. 
there's a time for us to look inward, God, and to take a minute just to breathe and maybe take our hand off that hot stove. But, but there's also a time to begin looking outward and leaning into relationship with those around us. There's a time to begin pouring our heart into somebody else who is also suffer, suffering. And so I pray that you would teach us this week, Lord, to suffer productively, to grow through our suffering, that we wouldn't just stay in the same place of agony, but that you would accomplish something holy and divine, something beautiful even through our pain this week. And as we do that, Lord, as we lean into relationship, as we obey you, as we listen to whatever the last thing was that we know we clearly heard your voice say, I pray that your will would be accomplished in my life, in the life of each one here today. And Lord, if there's anybody present here today or listening that has not acknowledged you as the Lord of their life, pray that you would continue to stir their heart to draw them close to you and maybe give them the courage to just pray this simple prayer and say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for doing things that are not pleasing to you. I'm sorry for sinning and, and leading to the suffering that you endured on the cross. And I thank you for your love that was poured out at Calvary that's available to me today that I can walk in your mercy and forgiveness. I'm asking you to be my Lord, the authority that I follow. And I thank you for your love, your forgiveness, and your mercy. In Jesus' name. If that was you here today, if you prayed that prayer for the first time or maybe for the first time in a long time, then we want to walk with you on this new journey. The suffering isn't going to stop. There's still suffering in life. If anybody tells you different, they are, they are vastly mistaken. There will still be difficult things to go through. But if you're walking with Christ, you have an ally, you have a source of strength like you've never known before. We want to walk with you on that journey. Thank you for joining us here on the New Hope Legacy podcast. One thing that I love about our church is the many ways to connect. So one way that you can find out more information about upcoming events and small groups, as well as other resources, is to check out the website at www.newhopelegacy.com. 